Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and welcome to 2023. And yes, if you are watching from home, you got your scorecards out, you've got your program there, and you are now watching this train wreck, dumpster fire, whatever words we can call it known as the House of Representatives, which actually is now just House of Representatives-elect, going on in 2023. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, i actually battling a little bit of a cough, so uh wasn't uh, you know, going to bow out, but I owe it to the listeners to, number one, get things back on track for 2023. 2022 was very eventful, uh, a lot of campaign work. Etc., which makes it tough to have the regular updates with regard to politics. But what is going on in Washington, D.C., my friends? What is going on? Well, we have stalemate. And whatever the United States is resembling as far as dysfunctional government, and some people say, oh, this is important. It's important to have these issues, to hash out these issues, to talk about these issues. Yes, it might be important to talk about issues. It always is important to talk about issues. What it's, but you also got to run a government. And the fact is, the fact is, folks, that right now we do not literally have a functioning government in the United States of America. This is the greatest nation on earth, the greatest democracy, the beacon of freedom. And we are unable to put together a functioning government in the House of Representatives. That means that the 435 members of the House are only elect. They have not been sworn in. They are not officially in office. Yeah, they can run an office, but there's no legislation. They can't hold hearings. They can't get intelligence briefings. They don't have security clearance. There are so many things that the House of Representatives cannot do because there is a group that refuses to elect a speaker. And now you might say that the 20 or 21 or the 19 holdouts who won't vote for Kevin McCarthy have principled reasons not to do so. I hear. I understand you have principle. The question is, what is your plan? What is your alternative? Byron Donalds, Jim Jordan, you're putting up people, Andy Biggs, who have no chance of becoming speaker. And voting for them. It's like saying, I am going to vote to protest. So let's just say in the presidential election or any election, you go out to vote and you decide, you know, I'm going to write somebody in who has no chance of winning as a protest. But somebody is going to win. That vote is not going to prevent the election from happening. In this case, the vote that you are taking for somebody who is not going to win as a protest is actually going to prevent the election and the functioning of government from happening. And sometimes you're not always happy with the outcome when you vote and you say, okay, my guy didn't win. I didn't win. Okay, that's the breaks. That's what happens sometimes. But to have five or six or seven or 19 in this case or 20 people who refuse to acknowledge that government needs to function and to come to the best alternative. They don't have a best alternative right now. All they're saying is, well, we will not have Kevin McCarthy. We don't want Kevin McCarthy to be speaker. 
well, what is your alternative plan? Who else do you think is going to muster the 218 votes on the Republican side in order to elect a speaker? Because ultimately, it is your responsibility as an elected official to make the government function. It's not just about protest. That you didn't, you're not just elected to say, okay, we can't do this, we can't do that, I won't vote for this, I won't vote for that. You'll have those opportunities to take certain votes. But this is the actual functioning of government, and you're not allowing government to function. And we might not like it, and we might not love the way democracy functions all the time. But it is the best alternative to any form of government. And yet we're kind of used to this. You know, those that follow Israeli politics closely were used to these coalition negotiations and people holding out and kind of coalition agreements. Israel just went through another one and Bibi you know, may have caved to certain concessions to certain parties, to the right wing and the, and the Haredi parties. And some people were upset about that. But ultimately, he took his responsibility seriously to form a government as he was elected to do. And they got it done. The question is for the 20 holdouts who won't vote for Kevin McCarthy is what is the end game? What is your plan? But there are two things here. And I think that there's a little bit of a, a theme going on here in American politics. And to some degree, actually, I'm going to bring it back to New York State in a minute or two, maybe a little bit more, to talk about I see as a little bit of an ineptitude going on because there are some people who just refuse to, <coughs> excuse me, some people who just refuse to govern. They don't, they just want to say no. They just want to protest. They just want to cater to extreme ism and extreme factions. And this does not bode well for the long term health of democracy of the United States of America. Even, even former President Trump, who is, I think, to some degree, the inspiration for the Freedom Caucus, or had became the inspiration for the Freedom Caucus in many ways, implored the members of the Freedom Caucus to go ahead and take a deal and make a deal. I mean, he posted some really good conversations took place last night. and is now our time for all great Republican House members to vote for Kevin, all caps, close the deal, all caps, take the victory, Trump said. And you know, he's 100% right. Take the victory. Republicans got the House of Representatives. They won. Yes, it wasn't a great margin. Yes, they could have done better. A win is a win, particularly in politics. Take the victory. <clears throat> excuse me, take a victory lap and then move on. But this idea that now we are going to paralyze the country, we're going to paralyze the government, we're going to paralyze everybody right. and not allow things to function with some plan or lack of a plan. Because what is the plan? That is the bottom line. What is the plan? Where are you going with this? When you put up a speaker candidate who only can muster 20 votes. And what are you going to do when it's time 
to raise the debt ceiling because that is just a responsibility of the government of the United States to function. Yes, we spend too much money. Yes, their deficits are out of control. Yes, spending, but Republicans and Democrats are both responsible for that. And if you are a hardcore conservative Republican who doesn't like it any at all, well, the bottom line is that most Americans do not want cutbacks in entitlements. I want cutbacks to entitlements. I want the government to spend what it takes in to live within its means like all of us do. But most American people do not. And sometimes you just got to respect that. Even amongst Republicans and Republican voters, I don't, well, you know, we'll see. We've never really gotten there. But what are you going to do? What is your plan if you're Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert? And you're saying, okay, I mean, look at the imbalance here. Okay, Kevin McCarthy, and this is not a referendum on Kevin McCarthy. I'm not here to talk about whether Kevin McCarthy, good guy, bad guy. Bottom line is he got the Republicans to where they needed to be, which is a majority. They have a majority. Now, you, for, for your own purposes and for your own theatrics or you think your own politics, I mean, let's take Lauren Burbert for a second. She won her election by 500 votes. Okay, it went went way two weeks or three weeks over time. They had to count all the votes. She lost, almost lost to a, a little-known Democratic city councilman from Aspen. And Lauren Burbert has decided that instead, you know, she's going to represent her brand of conservatism that says, I will not vote for Kevin McCarthy. I'm going to not vote for anything. I'm going to be obstructionist. I'm going to cause the government not to function, despite the fact that 49.9.8% of her district didn't vote for her and didn't want her to have a second term. How are you representing your voters? Because that's what they say. Well, people sent me to Washington to fix the place. Well, a lot of people in your district actually thought otherwise. Now, you're only going to represent the people that vote for you or the people that you think want your brand of politics. And I guess if you would have said to some of the voters, even your supporters, before you got there, that when it comes down to allowing government to function, I am going to make sure that we burn the place down. Because that's what they're doing. You're burning the party down. I mean, think of what this means for 2024 for the Republican Party. For the House. Now, a lot of these members, so if you would have said that to all those, you think some of those marginal Republicans would still, those 500 would still have voted for her? I think not. I think not. I think that there are, I think what everything we learned in 2022 is that extremism on the Republican side, and to some degrees on the Democratic side, is not popular. And extremist candidates who took extreme positions did not win. Republicans could have nominated, I mean, look at the difference between Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp in Georgia. And Brian Kemp is no liberal. And he's not even a moderate. He's a strong conservative. He's just not thought of as an extremist. Blake Masters in Arizona, Carrie Lake in Arizona. Need I go on? So what does this mean for me and you? 
it's not good. It's it's really not good. I mean, we think about it in the Knesset, Israel's functioning. Let's see how stable this government is. Hopefully it will be. But it's functioning because they got together and enough people knew, enough members of the coalition knew how to compromise on things that they needed to get done in order to get things done. What's going on in the Republican side of the aisle in the House of Representatives is nothing short of embarrassing. And the Democrats are unified. I mean, they're just sitting there with their popcorn. In fact, you know, that came up. You know, why are you having popcorn? I mean, it is, in fact, embarrassing. Don't complain about it if you're a Republican. You're bringing it upon yourselves. I mean, do we really need six votes so far that are going to show the same thing? I mean, I understand each side wants to wear each other down. But what is the end game for the insurgents? Because if you say, well, we want Jim Jordan or Byron Donalds or Andy Biggs to be speaker, can you get the rest of your Republican conference to vote for them? Well, it's kind of an imbalance. You have 20 on one side, you have 200 on the other side. That's 10 to 1 Republicans voting against the Freedom Caucus people. And then, you know, you have, so essentially you have three parties sitting there in, you have the Democrats, you have the regular Republicans, and then you have the extremist Republicans. So it's this coalition government, but the, but the Democrats won't play ball, kind of like Likud in Israel wouldn't play ball during the Bennett-Lapid era, the short-lived Bennett-Lapid era. So they wouldn't play ball. And I think a good description came from Jeff Van Drew, who was a Democrat. And switched parties under Trump to become a Republican. Uh, during the, I think, the first impeachment, Jeff Van Drew from southern New Jersey. He said, there are multiple levels of Dante's Inferno, and we're in one of them right now. We've got to get everybody back in the room and start beating the daylights out of each other. Because, as he's pointing out correctly, what's going on on the floor of House of Representatives is making the Republicans look like a bunch of idiots. And I hear that from my friends who are actually sitting there on the floor. It's just total misjudgment. If you think, if you're Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, even Chip Roy, even some of these Andy Biggs, if you thought that the 2022 midterms showed you that voters want more extremism in politics, I don't know what election you were watching. I mean, you're Andy Biggs. You're Arizona. You're in Arizona where your statewide ticket lost and had a perfect climate to win. The perfect climate to win a state like Arizona, which is a long tradition of being Republican. You have two Democrat U.S. senators. Actually, now one is an independent. You have a Democrat governor, a Democrat attorney general, Democrat secretary of state. Democrats swept Arizona. Yes, the margins are not huge. 
But how do you take a lesson from that if you're Andy Biggs or Paul Gosar, who is also from Arizona, and say, voters want more extremism? We didn't have the red wave. So instead, they look at the, well, the red wave, the lack of the red wave gave us more power to empower the Freedom Caucus, to empower the most extreme voices to go ahead and hold the government hostage, hold Kevin McCarthy hostage. I don't know. I just don't. I'm, I guess we're not, we're not watching the same show as they are. But it's really hard to imagine to think that there is an en- that there is an end game here that doesn't result in somebody that the extreme right is gonna see as less than palatable in some way as speaker. I mean. It certainly seems to me that the rank-and-file Republicans, that most Republicans, are going to go with Kevin McCarthy because they do not want to capitulate to the crazies. And I say crazies. I, I don't you know, really mean. But some of them you know, just are not taking their responsibilities seriously as legislators. And again, this is about the office. This is about the government. This is not about performance. This is about having a functioning government in the United States of America. And I understand they're saying, oh, we need to debate these issues. Yes, you do need to debate these issues. You also need to run a government and do the things necessary to allow it to function. And so now you might say to yourselves, well, why don't the Democrats come across the aisle and provide support and we have a compromise and the middle should meet each other? It's a great question. I mean, in a way, it's not certainly something that I would favor, but Aren't there more moderates on the Democratic side who could join moderate Republicans and elect a speaker who is a consensus candidate? And that would probably happen, or that could happen. It's like an old brand of politics, maybe 20 years ago. But before politics become such a team sport, in a way, in a way, it's more likely in a parliamentary system, maybe like in Israel, where an individual legislator, kind of, uh, Knesset member, switches parties or drops out of their party or drops out of their faction, even though they're elected on a party list, then here that you take such a risk, like Christian Cinema did recently by becoming an independent, even though most voters, many voters, when you're polled, they like political independence. They like the, they like the middle. But you take such a risk. You imagine if like five Democrats came across or 10 Democrats, the Common Sense Caucus, you know, the middle of the road Democrats, Blue Dogs, whoever they are, came across to support Kevin McCarthy because they don't like the alternative of a far more right wing. They would be tarred and feathered by their party and called Republicans light. And they would, what would happen to them would be similar to what happened to the members of the Independent Democratic Caucus here in New York, where they all got primary, despite the fact that they wanted to have functional government in New York State, in the New York State Senate. And that was, you know, kind of the message. So there is this tension of, well, if you were to do that and cross the party line and cross the, you know, discipline, then you will be finished politically. And of course, we know the stories that happened. So there, it's kind of, it's kind of verboten. It's kind of impossible to allow for you as an individual legislator or even as a group, a small group, to kind of buck that party loyalty. 
But let's take the Democrats for a second because you got to hand it. And look, we're here to talk about politics and how it happens and how it's practiced. But you got to give Nancy Pelosi credit because she had a similar majority on her side and she passed big pieces of legislation. And she didn't allow this to happen despite the fact she had the squad and she had other members that moderate caucus led by Josh Gottheimer. They were going to block at something. Everybody wanted something within the Democratic caucus and Nancy Pelosi held it together. I mean, you have to say the most powerful speaker, the most effective speaker in the last couple decades. Uh, certainly, it's seeming more effective than than John Boehner and who was, who was a, a great guy and a great legislator, but, you know, was un- was dethroned by the Freedom Caucus and Paul Ryan, <coughs> who had trouble with the right wing as well. Lancey Pelosi held it together. Why do the Democrats, who always seem to be in disarray, right? The, the famous Will Rogers line, I'm not a member of any organized party. I'm a Democrat. Yet the Republicans seem to be wearing that mantle right now. And the dysfunction definitely is right there for all of us to see. Now, if we could get 10, 20 Democrats to even not show up to the vote, because all you need is a majority of the members present, then Kevin McCarthy could be Speaker. And this is not like a ode to Kevin McCarthy. Um, clearly, amongst many of the members, Kevin McCarthy has a lot of shortcomings, but I think he is responsible for electing a lot of Republicans in the House, and a lot of Republicans want him, clearly, by far, the vast majority of the Republicans want him to be Speaker of the House. And as the majority, they should get that and not be held hostage by the tyranny of the minority. You know, we're always afraid of the tyranny of the majority. Here we have the tyranny of the minority. So what does this this mean for New York State? Well, I mean, it's just amazing when you think about it that Kathy Hochul, just, you know, into her first term, just sworn in the most narrow victory of a Democrat in a very, very long time. But she's got a great bargaining chip in her hand. The legislative pay raise. They raised the I hopefully you were paying attention because it's kind of outrageous and I like my local state legislators. But a thirty two thousand dollar raise in a down economy when most people are suffering from inflation is bananas, folks. Bananas, my friends. But she signed a thirty two thousand dollar per legislator pay raise to make New York State's legislature the highest paid in the nation, even though they only work part-time and half the year. And what did she get in return? Nothing. In fact, she is facing a massive challenge when she when she nominated the new head top judge of the state of New York, Hector LaSalle, first Latino. And a good chunk and the progressives and the left and the progressives, including uh, deputy majority leader of the state Senate, Mike Gianaris are telling him, even without a hearing, even without a single hearing for a judicial nominee, can you imagine that we don't get, I mean, you know, all Democrats went crazy when Merrick Garland didn't get a hearing. 
without a single hearing, they're all opposed to Hector LaSalle because of some ruling that, well, it doesn't even really matter exactly. But this is the governor's pick. And if he goes down, that is a major come down of a symbol that the legislature is ready to roll all over the governor. So instead of using in politics, you know, the bargaining chips that you have, something that the legislature really wants to trade in return, she signs the pay raise and nothing happens. And the legislature's like, yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. We still don't want, and the senators are still like, <coughs> we don't want Hector LaSalle. I, d- does Kathy Hochul not realize that by extension, when you want things and you put up a nomination, that nomination needs to go through just for your own political victory? How important these victories are? Like when you call on the legislature that we need to make tweaks to bail reform and they ignore you and they say, eh, Sorry. You're just the governor. The governor of the New of New York State is an incredibly powerful position. But if you don't use that power and wield that power accordingly, then you're ineffective and ineffectual and inept. So it's hard to understand when you have something that the legislature wants and they have something that you want, why you're not making a deal. George Pataki, way back when, 2004, I believe, or around those times, maybe even earlier, charter schools. The legislature desperately did not want charter schools. Shelley Silver was like, over my dead body, will we have charter schools in New York State? But the legislature also wanted a pay raise. And guess what? They got the pay raise, and New York State got charter schools. Somehow the people on the second floor, which is known as the governor's office in New York, didn't read that history book about how to wield power effectively and not dissimilar from what's going on in Washington right now. So let's just compare and contrast for a second what's going on in the House, which is what's going on in the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, love him or hate him. You got to respect his ability to wield power effectively. Now, the longest serving leader of any conference in the history of the United States Senate, which is really saying something. To be able to lead very strong willed and strong minded people for so long, especially in the Senate, it's not the House, uh, is quite impressive. And yesterday, he was in Kentucky with President Biden uh, talking about infrastructure and a bridge that needed to be saved between Kentucky and Ohio and how that project is going to make government more effective. Now, you might not love the infrastructure package, spends too much, borrows too much, etc. But the bottom line is you're showing voters that you're actually doing something for them. And a lot of voters clearly want government that works, not governmental dysfunction. How is it that these 20 holdouts 
Republican holdouts, they say, well, you McConnell, he's a sellout. He's a sellout. Well, sometimes it's not called a sellout. It's called governing. And governing has to happen as well because the will of the people generally, this is a, is in the middle. Is in the middle. And when it comes down to it, half of the country, even though that Republicans took the House, half of the country voted for Democrats, half of the country voted for Republicans. And people generally want less extremism and more competent and effective government. That's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Knockham Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs. See you next week.